The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. To find out more about this talk show or other talk shows broadcasting on KUCI, log on to our website at KUCI.org or check out the latest program guide. You're listening to Paradigm Shift. I'm Jill Shee. On this program, we take an in-depth look at some of the most contentious topics facing society today. You'll hear meaningful discussion and debate from Orange County residents and professionals. Join us as we seek to promote an informed citizenship through a straightforward, nonpartisan format. This is KUCI 88.9 in Irvine. Hello, everyone. It's Tuesday, June 18th. Welcome to Paradigm Shift. Today's topic is police use of deadly force, which has been a subject of national debate since the shooting deaths of Eric Garner in New York and Michael Brown in Ferguson, Missouri, last year. Public outcry has not died down on the matter. In fact, just this month, footage taken at a Texas pool party where a white officer was seen slamming a 14-year-old African-American girl to the ground and pointing a gun at teens, touched off mounting racial tensions between police and the communities they serve. And even closer to home, just this year, eight Orange County residents have been killed at the hands of police. The latest death happened just last week Monday in Anaheim during a traffic stop. With every show here on Paradigm Shift, we try to present at least two sides of the issue. Today, we will hear from Ron Thomas, He is the father of Kelly Thomas, who was a homeless and mentally ill man killed back in 2011 by Fullerton police officers. We will also be speaking to a lieutenant from the Anaheim Police Department. But before we get to that, let's take a closer look at this issue. Last month, a Washington Post article was published providing alarming statistics on police-related shootings. For starters, Roughly 385 people were shot and killed by police in the first five months of 2005. According to the Washington Post analysis, that's two people killed a day. So far, just three of the 385 fatal shootings have resulted in an officer being charged with a crime. That's roughly less than 1%. Out of the 385 victims, about half were white the other half minority. And out of the unharmed victims, two-thirds were black or Hispanic. And overall, blacks were killed at three times the rate of whites or other minorities. More than 80% of the victims were armed with potentially lethal objects. A total of 49 people had no weapon at all. And lastly, 92 of the victims, nearly a quarter of those killed, were identified by police or family members as mentally ill. The subject of police mistreatment of mentally ill citizens is a touchy one for those who remember Kelly Thomas, especially his father. Hello, this is KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. You're listening to Paradigm Shift. Today's topic is police use of deadly force, and we are now speaking to Ron Thomas, Ron is the father to Kelly Thomas, some of you will remember, was a man who suffered from schizophrenia and um, was beaten by police, beaten to death by police on July 5th, 2011. 
The officers, two officers charged in that that beating were later acquitted for their charges. Um, And uh, Mr. Thomas, hello, welcome. Hi, thank you. You were quoted in an article saying, um, after these two officers were acquitted, you were quoted as saying, um, you know, people should now be afraid. There's a carte blanche to police officers to do whatever they want. And um, is that, sir, still your sentiment? Do you still feel uh, feel that? Uh, very much so. We've seen it all across, uh, not just California, but our nation. Um, you know, back east where the black man was just shot repeatedly in the back and he died, uh, officer knowing that he was unarmed. And it's just happening all over repeatedly. And, uh, you know, with the Peace Officer Bill of Rights, these guys are protected, and, uh, you know, so they can. They can get away with anything. Yes, we're, we're so sorry for your loss, sir. And, uh, you know, what what were some of your main concerns, you know, after the death of your son? That you, I know uh, there was a big protest going on at that time in 2011, but what were some of your concerns? Uh, some of the bigger concerns were that nobody would be charged in it, and it turns out three, initially two, mm-hmm. Manuel Ramos and Jay Cincinnati were charged. And then uh, a year later, Joseph Wolf was charged, mm-hmm. uh, which is the first time in Orange County's history that on-duty officers had been charged with murder. Okay. And now, you what have you been doing since to raise public awareness or, you know, help in this matter? What, what have you been doing in the community? Um, I've, I've been from San Diego all the way through Los Angeles County uh, at, uh, at invitations, uh, giving lectures, uh, uh, speaking engagements. I've been a ad- very big advocate for those who don't have a voice, and that, that's uh, the people that are on the streets. So I go to city council meetings. I go to the county board of supervisors meetings. I've met with the governor of California in the Sacramento uh, advocating, trying to um, trying to do something about all the police brutality. I mean, we've really got to do something about this. And uh, so I do that all the time. I've also held fundraisers, benefit concerts, and, uh, you know, all the proceeds go to the uh, nonprofits that feed and uh, clothe the homeless and mentally ill. So I'm always trying to do something. That's wonderful, sir. Um, Now, back in 2011, there wasn't so much uh, national attention on this issue. And in light of a lot of the recent officer-related shootings happening all over the country, did, did it give you some sort of sense of, I don't know, justification, you know, some sort of peace knowing now that this issue has become more in the forefront? Or what were your thoughts when you saw more and more of this, these type of stories coming out and a lot of scrutiny on police departments across the nation? Well, you know, I, I've really been a thorn in... in uh a lot of different backsides, uh, you know, with the city governments and the counties and even the state. And uh, I, I have to really hand it to the people. And it all started with the Rodney King beating when he, it was filmed. And with Kelly's case, uh, having caught it all on camera, on, on uh, video, the people went out 
with their cell phones and started videotaping everything the police officers did. And this spread nationwide. And so now we're seeing it all the time. And I've been asked, do I think that it's, you know, a, a more of an increase of police violence? No. We're just seeing it now that people are filming. I think it's been here all along since we've had the, the beginning of police departments. But one of the positive things is is that people have armed themselves with cameras and they're filming the police. And, uh, you know, there's a point we just don't want to take it anymore as citizens. We have to find some kind of happy medium to where the police officers can still do their jobs, but don't beat innocent people to death. Don't shoot innocent people and kill them. So there's been a lot of headway made. Yes. And, um, you know, again, this, this is a this is now a topic that's gone nationwide. People are having more and more discussions and police departments are actually implementing new training techniques or taking a a hard look at their policies. You know, what, what is it exactly that you do when you, when you go and lobby? I mean, I know something's coming up this weekend. We might want to talk about that, but what is it that, um, that you're trying to, what message are you trying to get out? Well, wherever I go and, and, Whatever it is I talk about, it's all factual. And I put people in a place, I put the city governments in a place where they have to do their jobs. And I make them do their jobs. Um, one of the, the policies that I got changed in uh, Fullerton, which was many policies, but one of them was the officers would go around and wake up the, the homeless with their uh, batons, their nightsticks. At a council meeting, I asked the chief of police, so why is it okay for officers to go around and assault citizens with deadly weapons, those batons, to wake them up? you got to stop that. You just can't go hit people because you want to. Uh, so I've got a lot of policies and, and uh, procedures changed throughout the Southland for the better of the people. And I ask uh, people on the streets, you know, how, how are the officers treating you these days? And it's much better. So, you know, as long as we can keep making uh, positive headway, I'll keep doing it. So you are sort of seeing progress then in the police departments. You are seeing them move, or do you feel like it's sort of a uphill climb? There, there's a way more to go. Yeah, it's 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 always an uphill climb because you can install all the policies you want, all the laws that you want. But if the officers aren't going to follow them, just like citizens with laws, they're not going to follow them, then they're they're all for naught. And there's still an overwhelming amount of police officers with bad attitudes towards citizens. You know, it's like, I'm a cop. I have a badge. I can do whatever I want. You just need to shut up and do what I tell you kind of attitude. And I'm talking about the innocent uh, citizens. I'm not talking to you know, bad criminals and, and, and uh, people like that. I'm, I'm talking always about uh, good citizens, and they're being treated like uh, garbage. You know, uh, there's officers out there that still do it continuously. The upper echelon uh, in these police departments aren't taking care of it because they started out as rookie cops in the same departments a lot of times. And so it's their culture that they've developed. So they're not taking care of their own. I know up on a higher echelon, even at Fullerton, the officers are still lying. Uh, you know, the captains, uh, even the chief, has told some lies recently. 
uh, in his own deposition. And, uh, you know, for my case coming up, it just, that'll never quit. That'll never go away. And there's nothing we as, as citizens can do about that. Right. And um, again, sir, sorry for your loss. Um, but on a personal level, as, as a parent of someone who was, you know, who died this way, you know, what, what was the most disturbing part about, you know, what you learned about what happened to your son? Well, I don't know if there was the most disturbing part. Uh, there, there's several parts of it that, that really bother me. Uh, first of all, that police officers did it, on-duty police officers. And initially when I found that out, I, I was in shock. I couldn't believe that because I thought, my son, what could he have possibly done so wrong? And it's not in his character for them to have done that. And turns out, after seeing the video, he didn't deserve anything uh, of, of what he got. So that was very disturbing. The other part, of course, is he cried out for me 31 times mm. to save his life. 31 times. Mm. And his last dying breaths were, Daddy, they're killing me. 37 years old, and he says, Daddy, Daddy, they're killing me. Mm. And those guys wouldn't stop. They kept beating him and beating him and beating him, kicking, clubbing, tasing, breaking his bones. And he, he's just begging them to please stop. He never threw a punch. He never kicked at them. He didn't fight with them. And they did that to him. That's very, very disturbing. Is, is this what motivates you, sir, now? Um, going out and, and raising public awareness? Is this, is this the driving force? It is a driving force. I made a vow to Kelly that I would correct all the wrongs that were in place that allowed this to happen now. And there's still, I still have work to do, and I won't stop. And a big one is the Peace Officer Bill of Rights. I'm going to get that changed. We as citizens have the absolute right to know when an officer has been disciplined uh, and has citizen complaints against them. I don't want to know about their family, where they live. I don't want to know those kind of private things. But we all have a right to know if they've been disciplined or uh, citizen complaints against them. There's only four states now that have overturned that, and citizens have a right to know. The last one being Illinois, up in Chicago, Supreme Court, uh, pretty much did away with the Peace Officer Bill of Rights. We need to do it here. And, and how, how do you see that, that change helping the situation? The change is now the officers can no longer hide behind the Peace Officer Bill of Rights. In the criminal trial, my son's case, they knew, they absolutely knew that the officer's uh, termination letters, because three of them were released from the force. But see, that's part of their personnel file, and now the public can't know about that. Why were they released? It could, by law, it could not be released in court to the public why they were let go from the department. It couldn't even be uh, let known that they were released, but only that they no longer work for the Fullerton Police Department or the city of Fullerton. We have a right to know if, if they were fired. We have a right to know why they were fired. And it would have made a big difference in my son's case because they went in there in that trial 
and a corporal from the Fullerton Police Department, who does their training for them, testified that the guys followed every procedure perfectly. Well, then why were they fired? Mm -hmm. he, he hid behind the Peace Officer Bill of Rights knowing it could never be released. And I knew, talking with the district attorney in private meetings, the district attorney had those letters but couldn't use them as evidence. And it's just sickening to know that they can get away with pretty much anything they want because they're protected. we got to get rid of that. My final question is, you know, to, to any, any parent or, or, or family member who's lost someone through uh, this type of officer shooting or any type of brutality, you know, what, what advice can you give them? Um, you know, never give up hope and try and stay in the fight. It is so easy to give up. It's taken everything I've had for three and a half years to keep going, but never give up. Don't let your loved one die in vain. You you have to stay in the fight, or else it's going to happen to the next one. I do all of this because there's nothing I can do now to help Kelly, but I do it for all the other Kelly Thomases that are still out there and will be out there. So I advise them, never, ever give up, and avenge the death of their loved one by doing something positive. Ron Thomas, we appreciate your time. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. This is Paradigm Shift on KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. Now, the police officer's bill of rights that Mr. Thomas was referring to in the interview was signed into law in 1977 during Jerry Brown's first term as governor. Assembly Bill 301 makes it difficult for citizens and the media to access police disciplinary files in even the most high-profile cases of misconduct. There are some that argue that the law was the major reason for Jerry Brown's 2010 re-election. Now, while public mistrust for police agencies continue to grow, law enforcement groups say that Assembly Bill 301 protects public servants in a dangerous profession. Police officer supporters say although law enforcement agencies are charged with great power, that power comes with tremendous responsibility. Officers are sometimes forced to make difficult split decisions and under extreme circumstances. The U.S. Department of Justice reports that of the millions of people who come in contact with police officers around the country, force is used only 2% of the time. According to DOJ statistics, a vast majority of police officers in the country will go their entire career without firing their weapon. And a deeper look inside police agencies will reveal a rigorous recruitment process. Some agencies comb through thousands of applicants, and after conducting thorough background checks and tests, they are left with 30 to 40 recruits. The recruits are sent to police academy, where they are tested again in state and constitutional law and go through self-defense and firearm training. Still, many Americans are asking, why police shoot to kill, and some are looking to the White House for answers. Following the June 9th swimming pool party incident in Texas, White House Press Secretary Josh Ernest had this to say. So much of what we have seen 
uh, are uh, that have raised concerns uh, have raised questions about the leadership uh, and staff of local law enforcement uh, organizations. Uh, and you know, the president's been pretty clear that as uh, the head of the federal government, he has limited influence uh, over those particular organizations. Uh, but the uh, influence uh, and authority that he has is, is influence and authority that he's willing to use uh, to do several things. Uh, one is to help committees, uh, communities uh, deal with uh, these particular challenging situations, uh, particularly in a way uh, that supports, as you pointed out, the vast majority of men and women in law enforcement who work really hard and do a really good job uh, of protecting communities all across the country and doing it in a fair way. Uh, these are professionals uh, who are willing to put their lives on the line uh, to protect the communities that they're sworn to serve and protect. Uh, and these are individuals who are worthy of our um, praise uh, and our uh, recognition. Uh, but what's also true is that we can make those individuals more effective uh, if we can bolster confidence that the community has uh, in the broader law enforcement organization. Uh, and uh, again, I, I do think this is something the president will spend a decent amount, amount of time talking about over the next year and a half. Despite White House assurance, and in light of publicized incidents around California and the nation of police killing or beating suspects, Americans still want reform. A few solutions include better training for police, upgraded technology, and maintaining an accurate tracking database that shows how and when officers use lethal force. But in the bigger picture, there is a deeper issue at stake here, and it centers around biases. Speaking at a forum last year in Washington, D.C., Cedric Alexander, a deputy chief operating officer from Georgia, says police agencies need to create opportunities to confront biases and develop a philosophy of community policing that becomes part of the police culture at all levels. We all come with biases. You and I do too. Yes. And they may be not around race. They could be around gender. They could be around sexual orientation. It could be around religious religion. It could be around a number of variables. The important piece is, I think, that what we have to do in our training academies that we have not been doing, Jeff, is that we got to bring into those classrooms, into those, into those scenarios, and even part of the selection process, opportunities for us to begin to confront our biases. Because unless that's part of the curriculum or the training, I'm not going to move past that. Because the scary part is, it's not the guy who's consciously racist or sexist. The guy that frightens me is the one who is most unconscious of it. You're tuned in to Paradigm Shift on KUCI 88.9 FM. I'm Jill Shee. Continuing our conversation on police use of force, we focus now on Orange County. According to research obtained at an organization called Killed by Police, eight Orange County residents have died in encounters with police. That's eight deaths for this year, 2015. And three of those deaths took place in Anaheim. The most recent incident took place last week Monday, when a routine traffic stop on La Palma Avenue ended with the death of a 30-year-old man named Rene Garcia. According to Anaheim Police Department officers, while pulling over a Chevrolet Suburban near La Palma Avenue and Helena Street, Garcia pulled up in a black Ford pickup and started charging at officers with an 8-inch kitchen knife. The officers on scene shot Garcia multiple times, police said. 
Paramedics took him to UCI Medical Center, where he was pronounced dead. Rene Garcia was a Fullerton resident, and it was later revealed by his family that he was mentally ill. This incident is still currently under investigation. Here to talk to us about how Anaheim Police Department handles these investigations is Lieutenant Steve Marson. Hello, we're speaking to Lieutenant Steve Marson of the Anaheim Police Department. Lieutenant Marson oversees the major incident review team and training detail at APD. Welcome, Lieutenant. Well, thank you, Jill. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you. From what I understand, when there is an officer-related shooting, there are several groups of people that come in to investigate. Um, Would you like to maybe explain to our listeners what that process is? Sure. Well, when an Anaheim police officer is involved in a shooting or discharges his firearm, there's basically three efforts that take place in parallel at the from the moment that the shooting is completed. And the first of those is the criminal investigation. What we do is we partner with Orange County District Attorney's Office, and they come out and they do an independent investigation of the actions of our officer to determine if the actions taken by the officer when they fire their firearm, um, if there was any criminal culpability on the part of the officer, and was it in accordance with California state law, right? Mm -hmm. So that's the first aspect of criminal investigation. The second investigation is um, led by the team that I oversee, the major incident review team, and that is the team that consists of myself, a lieutenant, plus three sergeants. And what we do is we conduct an investigation to determine if the shooting was within Anaheim Police Department policy. So uh, an incident can actually be within state law but but outside of our policy, if that makes sense. So we make sure it's in accordance with what the Anaheim Police Department um, has set forth as the policy for when an officer can use deadly force. And then the third investigation is what we call a critical incident debrief. And, again, it's our team, the major incident review team, puts together a debrief for um, our command staff and different disciplines within the police department, like our tactical experts, our um, human behavior experts, our dispatch center and communications, and we go into a detailed synopsis of what took place. And then after that, there's a big discussion of, okay, let's look at this, let's say from the standpoint of a game film, how, what can we learn from this incident to better prepare us for the next incident to either reduce the chances of this type of thing happening, or if there's no way to avoid the incident, what can we do to minimize the risk or the impact and increase the safety of the public. And then spawning from that, we usually have a list of different improvement opportunity action items that are assigned to division commanders to get completed within 30 days. So all those three investigations, you know, the minute an officer-involved shooting takes place, all of those three investigations um, start off immediately, and then we work through those as rapidly as we can. Got it. Well, sir, you sent me some statistics um, about how many officer-related shootings that the Anaheim Police Department has seen this year. Could you share with our listeners 
how many that number was? Sure. And well, in 2014, we had two officer-involved shootings, and so far in calendar year 2015, we've had three. So, from January 14th through today, we've had a total of five. Okay. And in light of these 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 uh, shooting incidences, as well as what's kind of going around around the country. Has your department made any changes in, in policy, procedure, tactics, or training in the last couple of years? Well, let me start with policy. Um, based on these five incidents, no, we have not made any changes to our, our um, use of force policy at the police department. All of these incidents were found to be within department policy. However, just like any incident, anywhere we have identified a number of areas that if we can improve whether it's in tactics or communication equipment um and training and as a result of these five yes we have had a number of of um action items improvement opportunity action items that we've implemented at the police department okay and then because this has become sort of a nationwide topic and you know people fall on both sides of the issue what what should we know that that's positive about what the police department has been doing to ensure safety and to you know minimize these types of shooting occurrences well you're right it's a, it's there's a national issue with it but i'm only going to speak for anaheim police department right mm-hmm. so i can say that what we do is we make every effort to critically review every use of force that's um, that's applied by a police officer at our department. Anything from a physical use of force to a taser to a baton to a deadly use of force. And we have different reviews and approval processes and um, group discussions related to each of those incidents to, again, look to determine was it within policy and separate from that, what can we learn from it to improve ourselves for the next time? So, again, speaking for Anaheim Police Department, we really do subscribe to the philosophy of continuous improvement, and even an incident that that might seem really straightforward, we really do our best to try and find out what we can do to improve the the tactics and the the training and the, the likelihood or to reduce the effort, I mean, to reduce the probability of something like that happening again. Okay. And then just from, maybe if you can personally give your opinion, um, will, will there ever be a time when these investigations go beyond examining the legality or possibly following police policy? Maybe will there be an ethical component? Um, for example, should we be asking if these shootings were necessary? And then if the answer is no, make recommendations for changes. You think that could ever happen? That Well, that happens now. I mean, from a police department standpoint, you know, we always ask, was it necessary? I mean, even if an officer is faced with a deadly situation where they have to apply deadly force and maybe that application of deadly force is without question the only way to ensure the safety of the officer or somebody else, right? Mm-hmm. So let's just say an officer has to shoot somebody to survive. We always back up 
and look at the totality, the circumstances, and the and the series of events and decisions that put that officer in that situation to see if there's something that we could have done upriver to to not put that officer in the situation, and how do we take that knowledge and apply it to officers, you know, to learn from what took place. So, I mean, that happens, like I said, that happens right now. Okay. So in in reference to training, um, because you also head up the, the training detail, how are officers trained to exercise restraint and use only the minimum application of force to resolve an incident? Can you give me some examples? Well, let me first start by saying that um, our policy requires that only the minimum amount of force is used to effect an arrest. And if anything exceeds what we are, you know, determined to be um, the minimum amount, well, then that person is going to be subject to an internal affairs investigation and disciplinary action. And that's what I said earlier that... Mm -hmm. Every one of our uses of force, whether it's physical with a impact weapon or whether it's deadly force, goes through a series of um, review processes up our chain of command to ensure that they are within, um, they are, you know, do our policy of only using the minimum applied. Mm-hmm. Okay. And, Lieutenant, your department uh, doing some research, also continuously examines advances in available technology, and um, you guys review best practices. So I'm just curious, how how do you find that the use of, you know, common use now of video images of police encounters and this insurgence of these videos being uploaded on social media, blogs, etc., how are you seeing this affecting the way police departments um, are conducting or doing their jobs? Well, I mean, honestly, I don't, I don't see it affecting too much the way the officers are doing their job mm-hmm. because, right, in theory, the officer should be reacting to the behavior of the person that they're coming in contact with. And, in fact, um, Anaheim Police, we all have um, body-worn cameras, right, all of our uniformed personnel, and we're in partnership with Long Beach State to conduct a, a study on just that. Mm-hmm. where um, Anaheim Police and Long Beach Police are working with the professors at California State University, Long Beach, and the Urban Institute to examine how people behave, both officers and citizens, when they know that um, the incident is being recorded. Okay. So as far as we're concerned, we are big supporters of body-worn cameras and because from a you know one of the responsibilities of a police officer is a is a collector of fact right for criminal prosecution and the body worn camera is a tremendous tool with that i think that the people who are most excited about our implementation of body worn cameras are the people who prosecute the crimes that we set forward because you know we now have the ability to bring forth a tremendous um amount of video evidence to support what was in the past just written on a police report. Got it. Lieutenant, I want to go back to um, sort of last week Monday's incident 
uh, involving a shooting at La Palma and Helena Street in Anaheim. And I know that you can't necessarily discuss uh, the details because investigations are still underway. But um, from what I'm hearing and understanding, since there have been no recommendations to change any policies or procedures, it's can you just um, confirm that the Anaheim Police Department has been uh, the officers have been acting according to policy then with regard to these shooting events, specific this one? This, no, I can't speak to that just yet because our investigation, our critical incident debrief is scheduled for next Thursday, and the um, the criminal investigation conducted by the Orange County District Attorney's Office is just started, right? The thing's only a week old, so okay. we haven't received the results back from that, nor have we, um, you know, it, it takes a while, it takes us a few months to come back and do a real in-depth examination of the incident to determine if it was within policy. Okay. We're speaking to Lieutenant uh, Steve Marson, and we really appreciate your time here, sir. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you. Anytime. Thank you.